Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Mitch Prinstein. He is the author of the book Popular, and he is a professor of clinical psychology at UNC Chapel Hill, and he's actually the director of clinical psychology there. He has a research lab. They do research on all kinds of stuff from suicide and depression to social media and popularity and adolescence. Really excited to talk to him today about how social media has completely changed the face of popularity and what's important and actually how your popularity when you were a teenager might still be influencing you today. Mitch, thank you so much for making the time to be here and I I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I read a lot of books. Definitely everything that comes out in this kind of pop psychology genre, I'm all over it. And so I picked up this book and really just whipped through it. And it did something that I think all the really great books in this genre do, which was that it kind of takes a phenomenon that you think you understood or knew about. And after reading the book, you can't really think about it in the same way again. Oh, wow. Thanks. That's nice. Yeah. And and you do that for the concept of popularity in this book. And I wonder how long have you been studying? studying this, what got you interested in it, and why did you decide to write this book? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess in some ways I could say I've been studying popularity since I was five. (laughs) But formally, I've been studying this for about 20 years now, and I got really interested in it because, much as you say, it's the kind of topic that we think we know, we think we understand, and many of us think maybe it's just a high school thing that kind of we grow out of. But what kept me fascinated for all these years is that our popularity as kids continues to affect us in ways we don't even realize is happening to us for decades and decades later. And to me, that's just really interesting. I think one of the big things for parents is, do I really want my kids to be popular? Because isn't the hope for a parent that your kid's just going to be a nerd and they're not going to get invited to the parties and they're not going to get the (laughs) drugs? Guys aren't going to be trying to date my daughter. She's just going to study and she's going to be smart and she's going to get into a good school and she's going to be a nerd. There are these two different kinds of popularity and you want your kid to have one of them you want your kids to be likable that leads to a lifetime of advantage but you don't want your kids to be high in status which is the kind of popularity we think about when we think about that high school com king and queen because that's the kind that grows up to be at greater risk for problems what kind of problems are we talking about here mitch well of course it's not the case that every single most popular kid grows up to have these problems but there is now research that shows that the kids highest in status the ones that were a little bit more aggressive and highly visible and influential and kind of cool they peak too soon by their 30s they seem to be more likely to have relationship problems they are a greater risk for addictions they report more anxiety and depression mm. and the people that they're with at work and their personal lives report that they don't like these people very much they don't enjoy spending time with them they don't really trust them why do you think that is 
People that have gotten overly reinforced when they were young, people who felt like they could do no wrong, they've never really learned how to deal with adversity. And in particular, those who are really high in popularity, they seem to believe that the best way to get through day by day is to make sure everyone knows that they are the best, that they are the most dominant, that they are the ones everyone should be paying attention to, and putting others down as a way of making them seem higher up. Think about it. That might work really well in high school for a short period of time, but that doesn't work in the real world when we all grow up. And is that related to attractiveness, you think? Because there's some classic studies on kindergarten students who are more attractive. Their teachers don't discipline them as much, and they're more likely to think it was probably the other kid's fault. I mean, what is it from an early age that sets kids on these trajectories of popularity? You're exactly right. Physical attractiveness is a big part of it. When it comes to status, because that really emerges in adolescence, we don't have cool, high-status kindergartners. That's really a, a puberty and beyond thing. That's really strongly correlated to physical attractiveness. And it makes sense, right? I mean, at that age, when suddenly you're thinking, how do you get the most attention from others? It's the thing that suddenly kids become aware of in puberty that wasn't really as big a deal before. So attractiveness brings status big time. But it turns attractiveness is part of what makes people likable too and the reason why is that research says simply being attractive as you say you get different kinds of attention from teachers from parents and even from peers there's research that shows that infants spend more time looking at attractive infant faces than they do looking at less attractive infant faces and clearly this is before socialization right no one's taught infants to care about this we're biologically programmed so you know spend more time focusing on attractiveness. And that helps. That helps people be more likable. It gives them more chances to interact with others and learn social skills. I always think you know that a section of a book is good when you find yourself like talking to multiple people about it. Oh, I read this thing in this book and it was really interesting. And one of the things in your book was about height because, you know, uh, I've heard before, you know, oh yeah, CEOs are more likely to be taller, taller men, more likely to be successful. But you kind of broke that down a little bit. And the way I read it was that actually what might even be more important than how tall you are when you're 30 something is how tall you were when you were 15. Yeah, isn't that cool? It's, it's really kind of a great example, I think, of how much we still think of ourselves as the version we were when we were 16. You know, no matter what you look like when you're an adult, no matter what you're surrounded by, no matter how much attention and positive feedback you get in your adult life, there's still a little part of you somewhere that still conceptualizes yourself, thinks of yourself as that 15-year-old. And if you were really popular or tall or attractive, you know, 15-year-olds, then you walk around with a sense of confidence, you know, in your adulthood for the rest of your life. But if you weren't, research is now showing us something about the way your brain is responding to even daily stimuli, to everything you see and hear, that's still filtering it through that 15-year-old brain. See, that is interesting. And is that because this is kind of the age where you're really kind of forming your identity or something like that? Like, what is it about this time period that is kind of setting the foundational cement starting to dry on your personhood? Why is that? 
This is the time when your brain is suddenly turning from a child's brain to an adult's brain. You can remember things for longer. You can think about yourself in a more permanent way. It's not just how you feel in that moment. You really are able to reflect on your life. And all that starts around puberty. And that's the same exact point of time that people really care about popularity and they're really starting to develop an identity. And I think that it's kind of like the juxtaposition, the mashup of all those things happening at once that kind of leaves this imprinted version of who you were the very first time you started to have that adult brain that sticks with us. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking to my dad about this the other day, you know, kind of just talking about aging and the crazy thing about aging he said is that I just I don't feel any older that I look at my body and it's older but I as a person don't feel any older and I was thinking you know it's kind of the same it's like here I am and when I was a kid and would look at someone who's like almost 30 I would think wow that's like an adult but man I still feel like a kid but but when you say that it makes me think that it's not necessarily that I feel like a kid because when I was 10 I definitely felt older than I did when I was 8 but it is kind of like there's this solidification that happens in the mid-teenage years to late teenage years that you feel like you kind of have become the person that you're going to be. And there's a great study by Dan Gilbert, The End of History Illusion, in Science Magazine, where he like yeah. surveys people and asks them, you know, how much have you changed in the past 10 years? And how much do you think you're going to change in the next 10 years? And whatever age they're at all across the lifespan, like 19,000 people that he surveyed, oh, everyone's quick to say, yeah, I changed a lot in the last 10 years, but in the next 10, I don't think I'm going to change that much. Maybe that starts in adolescence. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it, it really is the sense that we all feel like the person that we are is yeah. simultaneously really, really different than who we were. And then at the same time, thinking, well, in a way, I kind of do feel like I was, you know, we have this duality about how we think about our past and our future. And, yeah. and you know, when I was working on this project, I really, I really loved finally getting an answer to that. You know, what's what's happening is, but we're really pulling up these old memories and using them to compare everything in our present to all the time. And to me, that's why it's so important to think about popularity is not something that we've just forgotten about after we graduate high school. It really is still being invoked and used to help us interpret our social relationships today. So... Jumping back to what you were saying earlier about it's almost like there's these two kind of archetypes of like, you know, the cool kid who's super popular, but that nobody really likes that I think we all can look back on our high school and be like, yeah, I could name a few kids who if you asked anybody who are the most popular kids in class, they would be the ones that people named. But if you asked people if they really liked those kids, nobody would say yes. Right. Uh, and, and, and then the opposite end of the spectrum is kind of the kids that everyone likes, but that wouldn't necessarily be considered popular. Exactly. I mean, 30% of those that are really high in status, the really cool kind of kids, they can be also really, really likable. So, you know, that means that 70%, you know, by far the majority of those who are high in status are are not well liked. And in fact, they're hated. They're very disliked and resented. And that's a a really big concern, actually. And that's a really unfortunate piece of this for women. The message is if you want to be high in status, you're going to be someone that just can't also be well liked. And, you know, of course that's not true, but girls get that message really, really strongly when they're teenagers. You know, you can think of every Hollywood movie that depicts that as well. Totally. The popular girls are always like the bitches. That's right. That's right. They're, 
they're depicted as being scheming and manipulative and mean towards one another, and that's true in some cases, of course, but that doesn't have to be the way that status works for adult women. That is so interesting, and it makes me wonder, as a parent, how can you help your daughter kind of navigate this? A, if you have a daughter who kind of is one of the popular girls, or B, if you have a daughter who isn't one of the cool kids. I wonder what you could kind of do or communicate to help them kind of navigate that. I do think it's possible to tell boys and girls, look, status is fine, you know, if you're if you're engaging in that stuff in adolescence, whatever, that's what adolescence is about. But don't forget about likability. Don't sure. become the person that is so focused on your status that you're not also being nice to other people and caring about the relationships. I would say now more than at any other time before, um, in a world that has us all focused on gaining status and followers and, and things like that, this message is probably more important than ever. Don't forget about also trying to build your, your likability and just general generally have real connections with people. That's the kind of popularity that pays off for decades to come. You know, I remember when I was in high school, I really struggled with finding my place and finding somewhere to fit in. And I was really kind of smart, but also kind of rebellious. So I didn't really feel like I fit in with the smart kids. I didn't really feel like I fit in with troublemaker kids as much and really had a hard time kind of finding my crowd. And my dad sat me down one day. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I know that this world and this social world that you're in seems like so important right now. But what I realized when I got to college, when I got into the bigger world is when I really could start to find my crowd. Here's what's important to focus on now, you know, is like just what you're saying is like how you treat other people. Here I am, he didn't know the science, but he just kind of intuited that I needed that message a little bit. And, yeah. and it was impactful enough that I still like remember it today. I mean, what are the key points you should hit with something like that? I mean, I, I think parents really need to know that when you're having that conversation, you're fighting 60,000 years of evolution. So our brains are developed <laughs> to help us one day be autonomous from our parents, right? So if you think about the beginning of our species so many years ago, we were built to one day do our own laundry. And that was all done by making our brains suddenly become really, really excited about peer interactions. Hanging out with our friends is way and to kind of biologically think that our parents become totally lame as soon as we turn like 12 years old. So that's done on purpose. And when you're talking with an adolescent about popularity, the part of their brain that we share with all other mammals, you know, it's just like a really primitive, powerful part of our brain is basically flooding them with neurotransmitters that says, go get as much attention as you can from your viewers. There's not going to be a rational yeah, conversation yeah. that's going to say, just forget about it. It's not important. Oh, okay. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'll Oh, no, I don't care about it anymore, right? But I think, you know, much like your dad said, just kind of planting the seeds to say, look, whatever you're experiencing now, this is not going to be the thing that matters the most. And you will find a way to feel connected that's far more substantial, that feels more important, that really will pay off in the long run. And for a lot of kids, that message is so helpful to hear, especially if it's someone that feels like, gee, I, I know everyone wants me to be popular, but I just, that's not possible for me right now. That's not what I feel like I'm in control of right now. And that's really a helpful life raft to let adolescents hold on to when they're in those turbulent waters of popularity in adolescence. You say, yeah. one day I, I know that things are going to work out. And you know, it's a pretty confusing time. Popularity is not in our control. We can't just wake up one day and decide to be popular. We have to weather that storm. 
So you've kind of talked about this a couple times. I wonder if we could just dive into it a little deeper, how teenagers are starting to care so much more about social hierarchy. Why is it that teenagers are all of a sudden caring so much more and noticing so much more how other people are seeing them and where they fit in the social hierarchy? Yeah, a lot of people these days have heard about like oxytocin and dopamine. Mm. Oxytocin, remember, being kind of like the social bonding substance, and dopamine being the reward piece that you know that makes us feel really good. It's actually the same system that is related to Addiction, using recreational gambling. drugs, right? It kind of sure. very very addictive. It's related to other parts of the brain that tell us whatever that just was, do more of it. That felt really good. Do lots more. All of this is kind of what's starting to develop first before you see any pubertal changes in a before their growth spurt or their changes in their body or voice. This is the stuff that's changing first. So if kids suddenly feel like all they want to talk about is who's popular and why are they popular and who gets attention and any parent will tell you that their kids suddenly seem obsessed with talking about nothing but this and around 11, 12, 13, 14. This is exactly what we know is the manifestation of this oxytocin and dopamine kind of starting to swirl together as it were and kind of what, what's actually is we have increased receptors for it. So when it's transmitted, we suddenly kind of soak it up like a sponge way more than we would have before. Kids are just really having this major reaction to those two substances in the brain. This is really important. I think one of the things that freaks me out a little bit, to be honest, is that there's research now that's looking at what's happening in the brain when you put them in a, in a context where they have the opportunity to see what popularity might look like. In particular, there's some research on um, Instagram. What is happening to the adolescent brain while they're on Instagram. You can show them pictures of things that are really dangerous yeah. and immoral and illegal and their brain responds by saying, no, I, I want to avoid that stuff. That's, that's bad for me. But if you show them those same exact pictures with little icons that say this was liked a lot by social media, then that part of their brain, that, that prefrontal cortex area that tells them to avoid these things, it shuts off. Yeah. It says, now that you see this is popular, don't avoid it anymore. Don't feel inhibited about this anymore. And that's really scary. Mm. That's Russian government fake news scary. That's manipulating our brains by showing us things online and depicting them as popular and trying to change our attitudes in a subconscious mm. way. That's the stuff that's freaking me out the most. We're here talking with Mitch Princeton, but we're not done yet. Here's a quick look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. They went ahead and they showed me what they call their Finster profiles, which is the more genuine expressions. And let me tell you, as a parent, that's the profile I would want to have access to. And that's the profile that no parents know their kids have, because that's the one where you really see their feelings and their risk yeah. behaviors, as you say, who their real friends are. Right. That's the stuff parents need to be talking with their kids about. And it's now a whole new subculture of social media that most parents have no idea even exists. I think it's about 60 or 70% of parents talk pretty frequently with their kids about their social lives offline. So that's, that's good news. That, that makes sense. But I think less than 30% of parents talk with their kids about their social experiences online. They're not talking with their kids about their online lives. It's a new world. There was no 1980s equivalent of the selfie. Yeah. I can tell you that no one I grew up with in high school walked around with photos of ourselves and asked people to kind of give us a high five every time they looked at it. There's no pre-social media equivalent of that. That is a brand new yeah. behavior that most parents never experienced even a version of when we were growing up. 
I gotta ask because I always wonder about this with authors and someone who writes a book so deep on a certain subject. How has the experience of writing this book changed your view of popularity and of yourself? And are you doing this now with yourself and realizing like, oh, I was really popular as a kid and now I have a more uh, rosy view or vice versa? And how has it kind of impacted your day-to-day interactions? It's totally changed my behavior on social media. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.